Statoil's 2017 energy perspectives have just been released. The report covers long-term macro and market outlook and provides a deeper understanding of the uncertainties and the opportunities in the energy future. I have invited Statoil's chief economist, Eirik Vernes, the main author of the report, to learn more about the topics and in this episode we will split it in two, a general overview and then in the second a deeper understanding of some of the main elements. I am Hans-Jakob Hegge, the Chief Financial Officer in Statoil, and this is the CFO podcast Behind Our Numbers. Welcome, Eric. Uh, welcome back to my studio. Thank you very much. Good to be here. So why is the energy perspective an important report for Statoil? Well, first of all, uh, the energy industry is long-term. The decisions that the company makes uh, have implications for decades. So we need internally to make up our view on where energy markets might be going for several decades going forward. Mm -hmm. Uh, In this report, we go to 2050. um, And when we do that, uh, we want to communicate it on the external arena too, to uh, contribute to knowledge, uh, discussion, uh, get uh, opinions that might be different from ours to improve our view uh, so that we have a, we, we test our analytical view against the market as well and then by that we improve our ability to to have an informed debate but also our ability to have uh, good decisions internally and uh, you've been working extensively not only uh, communicating and debating last year's report but also preparing for this year and uh, what is new in this report compared to last year's report? And uh, uh, you mentioned the outlook for 2050, but there are other things that are new as well. Yeah, I think um, just by extending the, the time horizon to 2050, we get new insights. Uh, the outcome space becomes even larger. The uncertainty becomes larger. So that's, that's new. Uh, of course, we have updated our assumptions by changes over the last years. Uh, one example is that the CO2 emissions are actually higher than what we thought historically. So we start at the higher point. Uh, We have updated some of the assumptions in some of the scenarios also by political events over the last year that that the signals that we might be going in a different direction. The Paris Agreement was ratified by by a record number of countries in in record speed. Uh, That that provides some optimism. Uh, And then in addition, we have a larger difference between the scenarios, in particular in terms of economic growth than we had last year. Yeah, you mentioned the three different scenarios and how would you describe the main elements? I know economic growth is important, um, uh, also energy efficiency, but how would you describe the main elements, Eric? Yeah, well, we have three scenarios. One is called reform. Uh, The short description of that is that it focuses a lot on politics and and sort of the follow-up from the Paris Agreement as a starting point in terms of energy and climate policies and what the countries have pledged, promised, uh, that they will deliver by 2030. Then it follows up and focuses gradually more on the normal market development, technology development, and and then delivers energy efficiency and and a change in the energy mix. So this is a good story. It's like a reform for improvement and sustainability? It's it's a big change. It has a lot of energy efficiency improvements. It has a rel- relatively and really a r- large change in parts of the transport sector, for instance, 
On the other hand, it's not a good story because it's not sustainable in terms of CO2 emissions. CO2 emissions by 2050 will be much too high uh, to be sustainable and, and at least in accordance with the two degree targets. Uh, but it is a good story in terms of economic growth and it's de definitely not business as usual. A lot of changes. The really good story uh, is the renewal story. That's the scenario we all want to be in. Uh, but it's extremely challenging. And uh, that has uh, much more focus on the need for common movement in politics across the globe, where everybody agrees that the global climate change is our biggest common challenge, and we have to do things together to get there. And it delivers, because we have assumed it delivers. It, we have a backcasting scenario showing what it takes. Uh, and it's huge changes. It's basically a revolution in, in uh, transport. It's a revolution in electricity generation. Uh, it's a revolution in energy efficiency. Uh, so it's a very good story, but it's extremely challenging to get there. The third scenario is a very unpleasant one. Uh, we call that rivalry. It's not a place you want to be, but it's a place we are in at the moment. In several, We see several signposts now that the world is not able to agree on common challenges. Uh, we don't trust each other. We have sanctions, meaning lower economic growth, meaning less um, development of technology. Uh, we don't trust each other, so we, we are focused on energy uh, security of supply instead of importing more efficient, more climate-friendly sources of energy from our neighbor, etc. If that scenario, if that world prevails, uh, we'll have lower economic growth, uh, but we will be less energy efficient, and we will have much higher carbon emissions than what is sustainable. So you have been looking at assumptions and uh, forecast and you have also made some changes to the assumptions and forecast uh, not only the 2050 um, uh, also for economic growth how could you update our listeners on on the changes to the these assumptions yeah i guess, I guess the the uh, in addition to the fact that when you when you start again another a year later you update your historical data so the starting point is different both in terms of energy efficiency, in terms of CO2 emissions, in terms of the status of the energy mix in different countries. And that leads to, even if you had the same assumptions, you would end up at a different place uh, 35 years into the future. In addition to that, we, we have uh, updated, in particular on the reform scenario, we have less policy than we had. So, so we, we rely less on politicians' ability to sort of continue the Paris movement once the period of Paris is, is over. Uh, and, and we have more dependence on markets, technology development that, that in a sense drives the development in, in the same direction, but it's, it's a more market-oriented scenario. Um, we have more, uh, much larger, slight, yeah, we have larger variation in, in average economic growth between the scenarios, in particular in that the rivalry scenario has lower economic growth on average uh, than we had last year. So that the outcome span of global GDP when we get to 2050 is, it has much, it is varying much more between the scenarios. Those are the key changes in the assumptions. So um, demand for oil and gas is, uh, is still very uh, visible in all three scenarios and also technology development. Is it fair to say that these are fairly similar in all three scenarios? No, I think there. If if we if we did that, we wouldn't uh, succeed in a sense because uh, when you, I mean, the uncertainty when you look to twenty fifty is huge, and and we have to realize that the world can go in really really different directions. So we have to we have to sort of discipline ourselves to be uh, tough enough to to pull seriously in some of these assumptions and to, in order to get different results. And as a consequence, for instance, the energy efficiency 
development that we have in the scenarios are really different. Uh, the energy intensity uh, improvement per year varies significantly. And as a consequence, of course, overall energy demand varies a lot when you get to 2050. Uh, oil and gas, yes. Oil and gas demand plays a significant role in all the scenarios. There's still a lot of oil and gas demand left in all the scenarios, but uh, but uh, the variation uh, between the renewal scenario, which has the lowest oil demand, and the rivalry scenario, which has the highest, is about 100% when we get to 2050. So it's either 30% lower than what it is today, or 30% higher, between 60 and 120 million barrels per day in oil demand. And there's also a very large difference in the gas demand when you get to 2050 between the scenarios. So looking at the numerous reports out there, Eric, are there any elements that the analysts can agree on looking at the range of reports? Well, I, th- I think uh, what everybody, I guess, agrees on is um, economic growth will continue, uh, driven partly by population growth. We'll be 2.4 billion people more by 2050 than we are today, and that in itself drives GDP growth by slightly less than a, than a percent. Per what year. about the con- changing consumer preferences? Uh, people could uh, uh, look at other things than, than, than buying a lot of things. Yeah, and I, th- I think that's where we disag- that, that's where you would find disagreement is, of course, how you translate economic growth into energy demand, and thereby sort of how much energy efficient can you make the economy. Um, if we were to stop demanding goods, services, and activities that require energy uh, when we become richer, which is what we do, uh, not, not, not necessarily in Europe, but there, there's going to be two billion more uh, middle-class consumers in Asia. Uh, if we were to stop demanding those activities, uh, then energy demand wouldn't follow GDP growth as closely as it has historically. But, uh, but the most indicators are that, uh, that when we become richer, when we get more money between our hands, we, we tend to buy goods, buy services, or do activities, for instance, travel, uh, that require energy. And then the question is, of course, how much does that translate into energy demand? Well, that depends on the energy efficiency. And that's also where we disagree and where there's disagreement, if you like, between the three scenarios. Uh, and uh, if you're very optimistic, like we have to be in the renewal scenario in order to get to sufficiently low CO2 emissions, then you can decouple global GDP growth from energy demand growth. If you're less optimistic, uh, then you can't do that, and then energy demand continues to grow. So we need uh, forceful uh, reforms, uh, politicians that execute. We need changes in consumer preferences. Uh, we need uh, technology development. There's a lot of things that could be added to the list of success criteria. So looking at the post-Paris and the Trump rejection, how big is the two-degree challenge, Eric? Well, it, it's a cha- it, it, I mean, the challenge probably cannot be overstated. It's enormous. Um, Trump and, and the rejection is not that important in, in the long term. It's more uh, a delay. It's or? a delay. And the problem is that the, the development towards a two-degree target is too slow at the moment. It's actually, in some dimensions, going in the wrong direction. So we need speed. We need quick uh, agreement on significant policy changes. We need quick agreement on things that can stimulate markets to develop the necessary technologies. Uh, we need signals to consumers that, that drive behavior in a slightly different direction. Uh, we need development of urban structures in, in, in the emerging economies that reduces the demand for transport, for instance. And that means we have to build the cities differently than what we have. Uh, the energy efficiency improvement that is necessary is absolutely mind-boggling. Over the last 25 years, we've had... Uh, 
an annual improvement, if you like, in energy intensity of less than 1% per year. Uh, going to 2050 in the renewal scenario, we need 2.8% per year. We need three times the energy intensity improvement over the next 25, 35 years to deliver. It's a huge challenge. There are so many interesting topics, but we also need to to um, to reflect on implications for Stottoil. So, how how would you list uh, the maybe the two three most important ones potentially from this, Eric? Well, I, th- I think uh, one of the one of the key implications is uh, is that we need to be able to have our mind on several things at the same time. We have to we need to have more thoughts than one in our head. Um, there's a big transition here, meaning that there's uh, going to be a lot of growth in new renewables and new energy solutions. Uh, at the same time, there's significant need and, and to, to some extent huge need for new oil and gas in all scenarios. So we need to be able to develop resources in a more challenging environment, if you believe in the two degree scenario, in terms of prices and cost challenges. So we have to, we have to build robust strategies here that, are, that, that can handle surprises. Uh, prepare to be surprised is, is, is a very good way of describing it. Um, we will be facing, um, if, if we're moving in the, in, the, in the right direction in terms of the two degree target, we'll be facing a world where the producer price for oil and gas is much lower than the consumer price. So, so the, there will be a different world out there in terms of carbon costs and taxes that challenges the industry as a whole and, and uh, also the flow of money between countries and between actors in the market, which is a new situation where we have the same, we have the right experience from Norway, but in the rest of the world, they don't have that experience. So there are many, a multitude of challenges here. Looking for oil while demand for oil is decreasing. So how do we, how do we handle that? How do we do that correctly? Mm. So uh, you have three different alternatives. You have described three different scenarios. Which one do you think is the most likely to happen, Eric. Um, as you said, we are experiencing the rivalry, but is that the most likely to happen over a period of 30, 40 years? Well, for, first of all, I mean, this is an analytical exercise where we're not allowed to assign <laughs> probabilities to the scenarios, but, but if you look at each one of them, uh, the detailed predictions in each of them, they're, they're all very unlikely. All the details are unlikely. Uh, we hope to, that the three of them together span out an outcome space within which the actual development will take place. Um, both the renewal uh, scenario uh, and the rivalry scenario, both of them are very unlikely by themselves because they contain, contain very specific and very stringent assumptions for tw- 35 years. The renewal scenario that the world will agree to go towards so- solving the climate problems is very unlikely. Uh, the transition that takes place there is hugely challenging and therefore unlikely. The rivalry scenario, on the other hand, yes, it's it's a, it's a relatively good description of what's happening in different dimensions at the moment. The, the Trump example, the Brexit example, the conflict in the Middle East now increasing just over this weekend. Um, but to, to believe that that's going to continue for 35 years is also unlikely. So somewhere around the reform scenario is, is where the sort of the the the, uh, the most likely development takes place but it, on the other hand it's we, we will be surprised there will be black swans out here uh, so so that's why we make these these uh, very wide uh, forecasts or, or outcome spaces and uh, to illustrate that the, that the world is really an uncertain place and we have to be prepared for surprises 
So, thank you, Eric. Uh, before we round off uh, this part of this episode on energy perspectives, I would like to remind our listeners that we, in part two, we'd go deeper into some of the specifics. And uh, But uh, just to the, the very end, before we close, uh, what has surprised you the most? You have done this seven, eight years at least, uh, Eric. So, what is the what is the thing that has surprised you the most on the actual development that has taken place over the years? Well, I guess there are maybe maybe three, at least over the last years. Uh, one is the, the one that everybody talks about, of course, is the fantastic growth and, and cost, growth and then cost reduction in renewable electricity. Uh, that's a big surprise. Uh, it's still too small to have any significant impact on global energy markets, but, uh, but, uh, but that's a big surprise. Um, the second one... Uh, is uh, shouldn't probably should surprise me given my age, but uh, but it's the lack it's the politicians' lack of ability to put measures behind targets, that they continue to talk about targets as if they are measures and that they're not able to act, uh, either together or even within a country. The fact that we in Norway don't have a consistent price on carbon on carbon across industries, for instance, why is that so difficult? Uh, the third biggest surprise, and which is uh, which is very good for for somebody who works in an oil company, is the fantastic cost reduction that we've been able to de- deliver in the industry over the last two or three years. If you look at the cost reductions now on on some of the offshore oil fields that that we're in charge of, the, that cost reduction in itself over the last two years is is more than the cost reduction in renewables over the same period, and that's that's really been surprising. So those are the three. Okay, thanks. Uh, great, Eric, and thank you for coming to my studio. And uh, for those uh, ready for a coffee break, don't miss out on the part two.